Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Boyan Fierst. Boyan is a photographer, researcher, and manager of knowledge mobilization at the Leslie Harris Center of Regional Policy and Development, Memorial University of Newfoundland. Boyan leads the Harris Center's knowledge brokering team, connecting community needs with the resources available at the university. Recently, he's been working to translate some of the literary fairy tales of one of his favorite childhood Croatian authors, who's been praised as one of Croatia's best writers for children, and whose work utilizing traditional Slavic names and motifs has been compared to Hans Christian Andersen and J.R. Tolkien, though her work is not widely known by English-speaking audiences. Today, we're working to fix that and delving into the fairy tales of Boyan's childhood. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to this. So, um, before we get into the mm-hmm. the fairy tales, let's can we can we talk about your childhood? Where did you grow up? So I grew up. I, I had a magical childhood. I grew up in Croatia. Uh, at that time, it was part of former Yugoslavia as well. Uh, so I grew up in a small town. Uh, south of the capital called Sisak. It was an um, industrial town. I thought the story, uh, dirty old town, was written about my hometown, <laughs> right? I yes, literally okay. grew up next to a factory wall. It was a factory for alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages. And um, my summers were often spent with my grandmother on the coast. And uh, it was magical. And one of the part of that magic were these stories we are going to talk about. Today. Right. So even a... Tell, tell us about this lady that, that until you and I had this conversation, I honestly had never heard of. She's a fascinating person. So Ivana Brlić Majuranić is a Croatian writer uh, from the turn of the century. She was born in the late 1800s, and most of her work was published in the early 1900s. Uh, she comes from a truly illustrious family. Mm-hmm. Uh, her grandfather, Ivan Majuranić, was a poet and the first commoner who was uh, appointed viceroy of Croatia. So he is known as the viceroy commoner. He is also, as a poet, he wrote one of the greatest Croatian epic poems, The Death of Smilaga Cengic, uh, which is a fantastic, fantastic piece of literature. And on top of that, he has finished the missing two chapters of uh, Ivan Gundulic's the greatest Croatian epic poem um, from the Romantic period. Um, so with him, sort of the Romantic period ends. Uh, his son was um, also a lawyer and a writer, and his granddaughter, Ivana, uh, became a writer herself. So she was named after her. She grand- was named after her yeah, grandfather. grandfather yeah. Um, she lived um, in. Uh, she was born in the mountain part of Croatia. Lived in the um, in the essentially the Croatian prairies, if you want, if you will. And uh, she wrote a series of novels and uh, stories for children. Right. Um, they're absolutely beautiful. Um, she would merge Slavic mythology with very Christian beliefs into this wonderful, sensitive, sensible, um, incredible set of stories. Um, Her most famous, well, two of her most famous works are a novel, uh, The Wondrous Adventures of Apprentice Hlapic, and the collection of eight stories called Creation Stories from Long Ago. So one of the stories I'm going to tell you about is from that collection. 
Um, she uh, was nominated for Nobel Prize for Literature four times, I believe. Mm-hmm. The only English translation we have dates back to 1920s. It was published in 1922 in New York and in 1924 in London uh, by the same publishers that published Tolkien's Hobbit right. and yeah. The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, we had no translation since, except there was a CD production that used flash animation that did a really nice job of translating all the stories and turning them into these um, sort of click on the screen and the story will tell itself kind of animation. Uh, It was quite successful. Um, Now it feels a bit dated and it's hard to find. Right. Um, Michelle Porter um, and I started to translate um, some of these stories just out of curiosity, um, something that I wanted to do for our kids. And she's a folklorist. So it's been great to work with her because she was able to kind of help me shape the language in exactly the same way that the Croatian kind of conveys certain meanings. Right. right. So, so, so these were stories that you knew as a as a child. Oh my you, goodness! You grew yes. Up with. Yeah. Oh, you totally grew up with these stories, right? <laughs> so they were read to you, then you got to read them. Uh, I mean, every Croatian house probably has a copy of the. Right, yeah. Stories. And, and like I said, I had never heard of this woman, but you, you had sent me uh, on to the Wikipedia entry about her, and then I did a little bit more digging, and she kind of had this fascinating life. And yeah. like you said, um, she... Very sad life. Very sad. She, and she... Uh, she died by suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had kind yeah. of a tragic... And her husband had died, and she uh, ended up in a sanatorium, yeah. and, and then eventually took her own life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a very, very sad life. Yeah. yeah, but she wrote these wondrous stories. Yeah, and and do you, do you think she is still well known and well regarded within Croatia? Oh my goodness, yes, yeah. she is it. Yeah, yeah. so th- there are constantly new editions. Um, I have a set of um, books we bought. My mother bought for our girls. There's a brand new edition with brand new illustrations, completely different than the stuff I grew up with. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, interestingly, uh, the new editions, um, as you go back, you would just get the stories. The new editions are stories and they have a little bit of a dictionary on the side because the language has changed. Right. Yeah. right? So we have to explain certain things. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, like that she was she was published by the same publishing company that was publishing Tolkien. She she beat Tolkien like by 10 years or something that... Uh, mm-hmm. And it is interesting. She gets this comparison in the in the literature to Hans Christian Andersen and Tolkien because she was taking like aspects of traditional culture and then kind of recasting it in a literary form. Yeah. Very much so. And it's it's this. So historically, when you look at the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, uh, where Croatia is. So there is the Pan Slavic movement. Um, you know, we are still under Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, the First World War has just ended. The empire fell apart. There is the first Yugoslavia that was kind of cobbled, the, the kingdom of Croats, Slovenes, and Serbs that's kind of cobbled together after the end of the war. There is this desire to kind of create this pan-Slavic, southern Slavic language. And she's drawing on this old Slavic mythology that, you know, survived in villages. Mm-hmm. Um, it was translated into Christianity in some ways, uh, but really wasn't that prevalent at that time. Yeah. She made it yeah. 
into something completely new and different. Yeah, right? I, I'm curious. You know, were there were there collectors at the time who were collecting that kind of traditional? Like, is does that literature exist in Croatian? Like, is there the folk literature? Um, I would imagine. The answer is I don't know for sure. I would imagine that it does because for a very long time we had um, ethnographic institute in okay, Croatia yes, that yeah. I would imagine has extensive collections and these kinds of things, right? Yeah, and it seems like over the past few years there have been some... some new translations of some of this older material, you know, because I think uh, English-speaking audiences, we know we know Hans Christian Andersen, we know the Brothers Grimm, we know maybe some of the French, like Charles Perrault's kind of stuff, but then there's all this other literature out there that we we don't get exposed to. We live in our little Anglo bubble uh, sometimes. I suppose every language does that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, it's interesting. Um, I would not compare her to Brothers Grimm or, let's say, Italo Calvino in Italy. Yeah. Because they were collectors of they stories were, and right. they would retell them. Yeah. She is more like Hans Christian um, Andersen yes. because she, th- these are her stories. Her stories. These are not stories that existed before she wrote. Yeah, yeah. You were saying that um, one of the problems, we, before we started, we were talking about the, the translation mm-hmm. and that when these works were translated I- in the early 20th century, the English translators took some license in what they were, the words that they were using, descriptions of mythological characters and whatnot. Can you, can you talk a little bit about some of those mistranslations? You were talking about like a particular character that wasn't translated in maybe the correct way. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, just this morning before I came into the studio, I was doing some searching online and uh, we found excerpts from, uh, it was fascinating. I mean, Michelle and I, I, I was almost late for this because we were looking over those <laughs> translations. That's a good reason to be late, doing uh, folklore I, research. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the uh, library at Yale University, we found the 1922 edition that was published um, in New York. And the translation is, uh, it's really interesting because it's its a little bit stilted, right? Because it's 1920s, right? So it's the language is, you know, really put into these constraints, um, which takes away the poet- poeticism of her language. And then they would, they translated the names of some of the main characters in the stories, um, sometimes skillfully, sometimes less so. But they really tried to translate met- mythology, which doesn't quite work. So in the story I'm going to read bits and pieces of for you, um, there is a set of characters called Domaci. Domaci, or the Russian version that's probably more well-known, Domovoi, is, um, these are house spirits. But they're not just house spirits, they're herd spirits. So they come out of fire, they have red hats that look like flames, right? They're these mischievous little creatures that dance around the hearth and, you know, they make a mess. And But they're, they're good, they're, they come and bring good luck to the house. So they were translated as brownies. And brownies are very Protestant, Anglo-Saxon <laughs> characters who, you know, are very brown and they uh, do housework for yeah, you. You give, them, you, know, you, give, you give them some milk and they do some chores. Yeah. They do some chores, right? Yeah. Which was hilarious <laughs> because, you know, aside from the fact that they're both house spirits, that's where the similarity right. ends, yeah. right? But they couldn't help themselves. They had to translate this very different set of beings yeah. into something that was familiar to the readers. And does that kind of tone down their potency or their power? It tones or? down the fun. Oh, okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. 
Cool. So, and, and that's a big part of the story that I'm going to read uh, is that there are these fun spirits. They came into the house to have fun. Okay. Right. They dance. They make a mess. So set up set up the story for us. What are you going sure. to start with? So we are going to start with a story called The Forest of Stribor. So Stribor in Slavic mythology was the god of forest and wind. And so there's a big guy living in a giant hollow oak tree, right? Uh, he lives in a forest that is full of magic. Right? And then the other characters we're going to encounter here is um, a young woman who has been sinful and turned into a snake for her sins. Uh, a young man who is very timid and not too bright. Uh, <laughs> his wise old mother. A young girl who makes an appearance in the middle of the story and sells the kindling. A yafo of kindling. I actually managed to use a Newfoundland word. <laughs> uh, in, uh, because it works. It works so well. It's almost exact, exact translation. You wouldn't be able to find an English word that would be that close. That's amazing. Right? Yeah, that's so a yafo of kindling. Uh, she sells to the old woman. And when she lit the fire with that kindling, that's where the house spirits, domachi, come out of. Okay. Right? So as Michelle and I were translating this, we decided to keep the names uh, as close as we could, uh, maybe with some gentle change in spelling in order to make English speakers pronounce them properly. Right. And then um, we are going to meet Stribor, who is full of magic, and uh, we're going to bring his forest down. In the story. Okay. So, um, so you're going to read us a piece of that. This is your translation from, uh, this is the introduction to the story. So this is, uh, I'll read a little bit from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what kind of happens next. And maybe we can talk about it if you want to. Yeah. And uh, I'll read you a little bit in the middle and I'll read at the end. Okay. Do we have time to that? Oh, yes. All we right. do. So the forest of Stribor. A young man entered the forest of Stribor. But he didn't know it was an enchanted forest and that all sorts of miracles happen here. Good miracles, but also wicked ones, to each as he deserved. The forest had no choice but to stay enchanted until one entered it who cherished their troubles more than all the fortune in the world. So the young man cut some wood and sat down on a stump to admire the beautiful winter day. But from the stump came out a poisonous snake and it began fawning around the youth. Alas, it wasn't a real snake, but a human soul cursed for its sins and wickedness, and only the one who would marry her could break the spell. The snake shone like silver in the sun and looked the youth straight in the eye. Dear God, what a pretty little snake. I could almost take her home, said the youth in jest. Here is a foolish head who will free me, though it brings him his own misfortune thought the wicked soul inside the snake, and she quickly turned herself into a beautiful young woman right in front of the youth. Her sleeves were white and laced like the wings of a butterfly, and on her tiny feet were lady slippers. But because she had such a wicked thought, in her mouth there remained a snake's tongue. Here I am. Take me home and marry me, she said to the youth. So, he is this timid young man who would feel really, really bad if he didn't <laughs> take right. her home now. She's very beautiful. And what's really interesting in the story is that 
She keeps giving them a way out. None of this needs to happen. If she didn't have a wicked thought, she would have just turned into a young woman. They would get married, live happily ever after. <laughs> if he swung his axe and said, be gone, you forest spirit, she would have turned back into the snake. He would have gone home to his mother with his you know, armload of wood. And that would have been it. That would have been it. Yeah. But none of that happens. He's too timid. He's not too bright. He's very simple. He sees this young woman. He feels bad that she turned into a young woman just for him. So he takes her home. Right. He brings her home. His mother takes one look at her and says, she's very beautiful, but are you sure she's not a snake? And he says, how does my mother know she is a snake? She was a snake. She must be a witch. Um, the young daughter-in-law starts demanding impossible tasks for the mother. Um, she manages to complete all of them. Interestingly, that's where the Christianity comes into place because she manages to complete all of them without praying to God. She doesn't want to pray to God for help because she doesn't want the God to find out that her son is no good. Uh, okay. Right? So yeah. she's protecting her son. Um, she sits by the fire and um, she tries to mend her son's shirt. Her daughter kicks her out of the house. She says, that's not your job anymore. And she sits in front of the house with a needle and thread and um, she finally prays to God and says, please help me. And there's this young woman um, in a ripped shirt carrying selling some kindling uh, who passes by and offers some kindling and the old woman says I don't have any money but I'll fix your shirt if you want me to uh, for some kindling and that's what she does she takes the kindling starts the fire in the uh, hearth and goes into the storeroom um, to get something from the from the storeroom and maybe I can read a little yeah, bit. Yes, so this is that, where our friends come in. That's where is. our friends, <laughs> how spirits come in. So let me see if I can find that page. So it, it's interesting that the, the strong characters here are the, are the female characters. They're all, and that goes for many of these tales that she wrote. Yeah. Not only are they strong characters, but they have real agency. They have, um, they're really the drivers of the story, right. which is real interesting, right? right? And, um, it's often the male characters, I'll say that again, <laughs> it's often the male characters that um, need to be saved from themselves. Uh, okay, yes. Yeah. So, Which is so often the case. Which is so <laughs> often the case. <laughs> so the old woman is in the storeroom, she hears this noise right, from the kitchen. And she says, who is it in God's name? Asked the old woman from the storeroom. Domachi, Domachi, chirped small voices from the kitchen like sparrows under the eaves. The old woman asked herself what wonder was happening this night, and so she went into the kitchen. When she got in, there on the hearth blazed the kindling, and around the flame danced Domachi, tiny house spirits, all men, barely a foot tall. On them were sheepskins, little hats, and fire-red peasant's shoes, hair and beards gray as ash, and eyes glowing as embers. More and more of them came out of the flames, one f from every spark. 
As they came out, they laughed and screeched, somersaulting on the hearth, squealing from joy and dancing in a circle. Faster and faster they danced, on the hearth, in the ashes, under the shelves, in the crockery, on the bench. Dance, dance, fast, faster, screeching, squealing, pushing each other and pulling faces. They tipped over south, spilled the yeast, trampled the flour, all from great joy. The fire in the hearth was flickering and flaring, crackling and blazing. An old lady just watched and watched. She didn't regret the tipped over salt or the spilled yeast, but took pleasure in the joy God has sent her as a comfort. It seemed to the old mother that she became young again. She cooed like a dove, jumped like a girl, and stepped into the circle with the domachi and danced. But still, there was sadness in her heart, and it was so heavy that the dance stopped. Hmm. It's beautiful. So they're all sitting, dangling their feet on the hearth. <laughs> yes. And she tells them what happened. And she asks for their help. And um, they don't know what to do. But then, the littlest of the Domachi, his name is, and no English person can pronounce this, is Malik Tintilinich, which is really fun to say. Uh, he has this bright idea. And she says, you know, he says, you know, I'll bring you some magpie eggs, hide them under them, swap them over for hen's eggs. When your daughter-in-law lifts the hen at Christmas to see the young chicks, to get the young chickens, um, she'll see the magpie chicks and she won't be able to resist. She'll stick out her tongue like a snake in the forest. Right? Um, so sure, sure enough, this boastful daughter-in-law invites the whole village because she wants everybody to see that she has fresh chickens for Christmas when nobody else has them, right? And she lifts the hand and there are the magpie chicks and um, she sticks out her tongue, the village runs away, the mother runs to her son and says, now you saw it with your own eyes, um, just kick her out of the house and it's all good. But the son doesn't want to go against his wife. He thinks his wife, uh, his mother is a witch. Where did she get magpie chicks at this time of the year? And uh, the daughter-in-law and the son kick the mother out of the house. So she starts walking. And uh, it's very cold. It's middle of the winter. She starts a fire on the, um, on the ice. And um, she brought some of that kindling with her. And as the fire blazes, Domachi come out, right? And maybe I can read the rest of the story? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, and the very important thing is that as the old woman starts walking across the ice, um, the son feels huge remorse. But he doesn't dare to tell his wife that he wants to keep an eye on his mother. So he tells her, Let's go watch her die from coal. And the daughter-in-law is delighted with this idea, so they follow the old lady. Right? The kindling barely caught fire, when a miracle. Out of the fire leapt the domachi, just like from the hearth. They jumped into the snow, and the sparks flew everywhere in the dark night. The old woman was glad, so glad they didn't leave her alone in her exile that she could have cried. And they gathered around her, laughed and whistled. God's brothers, said the old woman, I'm not in mood for joy, and yet I need you to help me in my sorrow. 
And so the old woman told the tale to the Domachi of how her son had become ever more obstinate and wicked since the moment he and the whole village had seen for themselves that the daughter-in-law had indeed a snake's tongue in her mouth. He exiled me and I begged you and he exiled me and I beg you to help me if you know how. The Domachi grew quiet. They squirmed and knocked the snow from their peasant shoes, but had no advice for the old woman. And then Malik Tintolinich said, Let us go and see Stribor, our master. He has advice for everything. And so Malik jumped on a hawthorn bush, whistled on his fingers, and out of the darkness, across the field, came a deer and twelve squirrels. They helped the old woman onto a deer, the domachi hopped on the squirrels, and they galloped towards the forest of Stribor. So they galloped through the night, the uh, son and the daughter-in-law, can barely follow them, but they are right behind them. And they enter the forest. Uh, and the daughter-in-law, of course, knows where she is. The daughter-in-law recognized the forest of Stribor even in the darkness, because she had once already been cursed in that forest for her sins, but in her great wickedness she could not remember even her newest sins or be afraid of them. So she grew ever more delighted and said, The ignorant old woman will perish in this forest in the midst of all that magic. And she ran ever faster after the deer. And so the deer brought the old woman to Stribor. Stribor was a forest master, was the forest master. He sat in the middle of the forest in a hollow tree so large that in there were seven golden castles and a village surrounded by a silver fence. In front of the most impressive castle, sat Stribor on his throne in a red raincoat. Help this good old woman. She was wronged by the, her daughter-in-law, Snake, said the Domachi to Stribor after they, had, uh, after they and the old woman bowed low in front of him. They told him everything just as it happened. And the daughter-in-law and the son crept near the hollow tree, and through the three warm holes they listened and watched to see what would happen. When the Domachi finished their story, Stribor said to the old woman, Don't be afraid, my dear. Leave the daughter-in-law to live in her wickedness until it leads her back to what she had escaped too soon. And you, I can easily help. Look at that village surrounded by the silver fence. The old woman looked, and there was her home village. The one she spent her youth in, and in the village there was a celebration. The bells tolled, bows played on strings, banners flew, and the singing was everywhere. Cross beyond the fence, clap your hands, and you will be young again. You will stay in your village to be young and joyful, just like 50 years ago, said Stribor. The old woman was happier than ever in her life, and she ran to the fence. She, already, she was already holding the silver gates when she remembered something, and she asked Stribor, What will become of my son? Don't be silly, old woman, said Stribor. How could you know about your son? He will stay in this time, and you will return to your youth. You won't even know you had a son. When the old mother heard that, she fell into deep thought. Slowly she backed away from the gates, stood in front of Stribor, bowed deeply, and said, Thank you, good master, for all the good you are offering me. But I would like to stay with my troubles, knowing that I have a son, rather than have all the treasures and all that is good in this world while having to forget him. When the old woman said that, there was a giant crash in the woods, and all the magic in the forest of Stribor ceased, 
because the old woman valued her misfortune more than all the happiness in the world. The whole forest swayed, the earth opened under the hollow tree, and the tree sunk with its castles and its village fenced in silver. The Domachi and Stribor disappeared, the daughter-in-law squeaked behind the hollow tree, turned into a snake and slithered into a hole. And the mother and son found themselves in the middle of the forest, alone, next to each other. The son fell on his knees in front of his mother, kissed her robe and sleeves, and then he lifted her in his arms and carried her home, where they arrived safely at dawn. The son begged God and his mother to forgive him. God forgave him, and his mother never held anything against him anyway. The youth eventually married that poor girl who brought the domachi into the house. They still live happily together today, and Malik Tintelinich often comes to visit their heart on long winter evenings. That's beautiful. It's an amazing story. Isn't that a great story? Well, we're running uh, close to the end of our show. So the, the plan is you're going to work on these translations. Yeah, one done, seven more to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and then hopefully a book project. Hopefully a book project. Uh, we have a very good friend who is an illustrator. We are hoping to convince him to take this on. And uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Good. Well, we might have to do some follow-up with you in the future. I know. There's seven more stories. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.